Doug Hayes, now come and present Covenant Mercies. Um, as he does, just for the sake of the kiddos, uh, we're going to be looking at Luke 14. So there's a coloring sheet out back. If you want to grab that from the counter for, for any of the kids, feel free to do that so they can kind of follow along a little bit. Um, but we get the opportunity to uh, both have an update on Covenant Mercies as well as be enriched by God's word this morning, as well as, and this is something that I just want you to keep your eyes open for, um, as Doug is with us this morning, as uh, Jesse Goins will be with us next week, uh, is, is to take note of the individuals, uh, their life, their example. Um, what you'll come quickly to realize, whether it's with Doug or with Jesse next week, is um, they walk the walk when it comes down to it. A life of sacrifice given to seeing Christ made much of, to seeing others cared for and tended to with the love of Christ. And then them being a bridge for us to partner so that, yes, we have an impact here locally, but also then that we have something of connection, partnership globally. That, that is a beautiful blessing. That's something that Jesus has ultimately died for us to know and be a part of. We're not just kind of reserved to our little footprint. We get to be a part of something global. The biggest mission in the world we get to be a part of. Um, Christ at the head of it all. And so even as Doug comes, take note of both the character, the people, the examples that are being shared in the lives of those who come and share, but also the fact that because of them, we get to share in a global mission. So Doug, come on, man. Amen. Come and bring Thank the you. word. Thank you, bro. Amen. Thank you. All right. A handshake. I like it. Good morning, everyone. If you, uh, as Dan mentioned, we're going to be in Luke 14, so if you would uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke 14, and while you turn there, let me just, uh, let me just, I mean, first of all, thank you, Dan, for that really kind introduction, but let me also just rejoice in the, the beauty and uh, the glory of partnership in mission in so many ways. By the way, I'm a pastor at Covenant Fellowship Church as well. Um, and we love you, we pray for you, we thank God for the faithful witness of this church and this community. It's a joy to be partnered with you in that way. And also, um, if, if Covenant Mercies is a blessing to you in those terms of partnership and mission, as Dan just said, let me tell you, you are a blessing to us in Covenant Mercies as well, to, um, to be received so warmly by you and, and to, uh, to join in partnership and mission with you. Uh, Whatever Covenant Mercies is doing in the kingdom of God would be nothing but dreams and visions if not for brothers and sisters partnering with us together to, to serve the Lord. Uh, so I, I look forward to uh, tell you, telling you more about the ministry. If you were here a few years ago, last time I was here, you may be familiar. You may, you may be partnering with us already, sponsoring children, things like that. If not, if this is an intro for you this morning, I'll, I'll be uh, introducing the ministry to you a little bit later. Um, but as Dan mentioned, we're going to begin in God's Word. And so uh, if you're with me in Luke chapter 14, I want to begin reading in verse 12. Uh, and, and Jesus, by the way, is at the home of a Pharisee. He's been invited to a dinner party at the home of, of a Pharisee as we join the scene. 
he, beginning in verse 12, which is Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather this morning and sing of your goodness. Lord, we, you, you have been faithful. You have been good. And we pray that you would minister your goodness to us again now through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We all know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of a kindness that has strings attached, a kindness that seems to be maybe a little more motivated out of self-interest than out of a true spirit of generosity. I don't know if there are any teachers in the room. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but the proverbial uh, apple on the teacher's desk may not be a pure gift of generosity. Um, you probably remember, if, if, uh, if you've been in Philadelphia, or really any major city uh, for a long time, you probably remember the guys that used to come out at certain traffic lights to squeegee your windshields, right? And I don't blame the squeegee guys. I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, calling them out for anything, doing what they had to do. Um, but I think it's no longer legal because we don't see this anymore. Um, the guys would come out and they'd start to squeegee your windshield, right? And then they would begin to maybe remove it and then they'd find out whether you're going to do anything for them in return. And some of them got very good at kind of leaving the rest, on, the rest of the work for you if you weren't going to reciprocate. Um, there are certain forms of generosity that we can almost feel like we need to be on our guard against because they're really nothing more than a thinly veiled attempt to obligate us to do something in return. Um, this reciprocity ethic, this idea that I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine, uh, was very strong in the Greco-Roman world that Jesus lived in, very uh, strong in Jew Jewish society of that day as well. So as Jesus sits at the table of this Pharisee, he knows well the mindset that he's addressing. One would act in a generous way toward others in order to elicit a similar generosity in return. And conversely, if someone extended a kindness to you or a generosity toward you, you would feel an obligation, even an ethical obligation, to reciprocate. Now, while the reciprocity ethic may not be as strong in our cultures of today, it is undeniably present in our world. It's undeniably just beneath the surface in so many of our personal and social interactions. If we're honest, we really have to admit that there's very little we do in life that isn't somehow motivated by our own self-interest. And on certain levels, that's perfectly okay. Um, the, the idea of reciprocity is not in and of itself evil. Think of the business context, right? In, in the business context, if, if I am happy to provide this service or good to you for X amount of dollars, and you are happy to part with X amount of dollars in exchange for that service or that good, that really defines the ideal business transaction, right? And if that sounds like an endorsement of, of free market principles, it is. 
Uh, but thank you for laughing. But that's a message for another day. Um, that, is, that is not my point here. My point here is simply to say that reciprocity in and of itself is not evil or wrong. However, as Jesus always does, he comes to us with some questions that go beneath that. He probes beneath the surface, into the depths of our hearts and motivations to push us beyond what might be natural or normal for us as human beings. Jesus calls us here to a selfless love that expends itself for others without regard for what they can do for us in return. And most of you know this doesn't come naturally to us. In our sinful nature, we are bent toward doing things that are in our own self-interest and away from doing things that really have no benefit to us personally at all. And so against the grain of his own uh, ancient culture, against the grain of our cultures of today and our human tendencies, our sinful tendencies, Jesus teaches us here that true Christian generosity goes beyond the bounds of reciprocity. And in fact, one of the defining characteristics of generosity that's uniquely Christian, and by that I mean not merely human generosity, what might be normal for us as humans, but, but what is uniquely Christian is its intentional focus on those who can do nothing to repay us. Jesus says, you want to know whether your love is truly Christian love? Love those who have no capacity to love you in return. You want to know whether your generosity is like that of your Father in heaven? Give toward those who can do nothing to repay you. This is generosity in its purest form, and Jesus wants to be sure that it is present and visible in the lives of his disciples. So in the balance of our time between, uh, before I get to the Covenant Mercies intro and update, the balance of our time in the word here, I just want to draw out two observations about this generosity that Jesus commends to us. Two things that stand out about this generosity. Number one, it takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. This generosity takes selfless, Christ-like initiative. Now, contrary to the way that Jesus' words may sound to us at face value here, he's not forbidding us from having our friends over. He's not forbidding us from being generous toward our family and our loved ones. In fact, if that's what he was saying, he would be commanding us to violate other scriptures. We're called to love those who are closest to us. Um, remember, Jesus is at the table of a Pharisee here. He knows what their practices are. He knows what our human tendencies are that we've just been reflecting upon. So Jesus is using some hyperbole here. He's using some strong language to jar us out of our complacency, to jar us out of our comfort zone and make an important point. So what point is Jesus making? Well, he's saying that as God's people, our generosity shouldn't be limited to that which is normal. It's normal to be generous toward those who can love us in return somehow, right? As disciples of Christ, we're called to be, take generous initiative toward those who can't repay us. And listen, I love this. 
precisely because they can't repay us. <laughs> I love the way Jesus explains the reason why uh, we shouldn't invite our friends, our family to this little hypothetical dinner party. Um, that, you know, and don't invite people who you might want to hang out with, the rich, uh, your, your, the people that are close to you. Uh, why should they not be invited to our dinner party? Jesus says almost as if it should be intuitive to us, lest they also invite you in return <laughs> and you be repaid. And some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Jesus. I would never, you know, God forbid I would invite Elon Musk to my house and, you know, maybe he would repay me by inviting me to his palatial estate and giving me a free ride on SpaceX or something. Um, you know, what a tragedy that would be. No, Jesus is not suggesting that that would be a tragedy. What Jesus is saying is that's the way the world thinks. That's the way the world operates. If, if your love, if your generosity remains only within those bounds, what difference really has the grace of God made? Read verses 13 and 14 again with me. Uh, but when you give a feast, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. Notice he doesn't say you'll be blessed despite the fact they, they cannot repay you, even though they cannot repay you. No, he says you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. There's a, there's a cause and effect relationship here. The blessing for you is the direct, direct result of the fact that you have selected as the object of your generosity those who cannot return the favor. As, as you take initiative toward those who cannot repay you, fully aware that they cannot repay you, God promises that he will repay you for that very same reason. And this, Jesus says, is one of the things that ought to characterize us as Christians and uh, distinguish us from the world. This is a characteristic that differentiates Christian love from love that we might think of as, as natural or normal in the world. Earlier in Luke's Gospel, if you, wanna, if you have your Bible with you, you want to turn back a few pages to Luke chapter 6. Um, earlier, Jesus has spoken in very similar terms when talking about loving our enemies. Uh, beginning in verse 32 in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But, this is where he turns the corner, but you, but you love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So how, as, as Jesus speaks to us here in Luke 6, how do we demonstrate that we are sons and daughters of the Most High? Well, it's not merely by doing the same things that would be possible and even normal apart from faith. As Jesus might say, well, what credit is that to you? Uh, how does that distinguish you from the world? 
the world neglects to show kindness to those who can do nothing to repay it. But Jesus says, not so with you. It shall not be so with us as his disciples. We demonstrate that we are children of our Father in heaven and disciples of his son Jesus by taking initiative where it wouldn't be natural, where it wouldn't be normal for us to do so, by loving even our enemies. Think about that. I think sometimes we get so used to hearing these words roll off of Jesus' tongue that it doesn't shock us. Uh, love your enemies. Now, these are the people that naturally we would hate and who hate us. Jesus is calling us to do something very countercultural here, something counter-natural um, here by loving even our enemies. And in a similar way in Luke 14, by taking initiative in our generosity toward those who can do nothing to repay us. So let's, let's come back to our uh, Pharisees' table in Luke chapter 14 again, because there's a most profound accent placed on Jesus' exhortation here in one simple fact. Uh, and it's a simple fact that goes right over the head to those who are seated at the table with him. We should see that it doesn't go over our heads uh, this morning. That simple fact is this. The one who is sitting at the table with them is himself God incarnate. He is reclined there at the table with them because he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he humbled himself. He made himself nothing, uh, took on the form of a servant, and took initiative toward those who could do nothing to repay him in return. Soon Jesus will turn toward Calvary and he will give all, giving his life to death on a cross for those who could do nothing to repay him for his sacrifice. Listen, if you're here this morning or if you're tuned in by live stream and you are not a Christian, if you've not placed your faith in Christ, maybe you're exploring what the Christian faith is all about, maybe you're being raised in a Christian family and you're trying to decide for yourself, do I believe what my parents believe? Uh, let, me, let me remind you, let me make sure you get this clear. Uh, there is nothing you can do to repay God. You don't come to Jesus to repay God for the wrongs that you've done, to repay him for the kindnesses that he's shown you. You come to Jesus as an act of faith, believing that his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave that we celebrated last Sunday are sufficient to cover the penalty for your sins and restore your relationship to God. So we shouldn't get this backward, this idea of, of repaying God. But Christian, if you are here this morning, if you are tuning in on live stream this morning, already in a position of faith, I trust you see the rich gospel truth that's bound up in what Jesus is calling us to here. Be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. Take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay you. Lavish them with love and with kindness and with generosity. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did when he left behind the glories of heaven and came to earth to seek and save lost sinners yes. like you and me. Yes. See, this generosity that Jesus commends to us here takes selfless, Christ-like initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay it. 
Well, number two, the second observation about this generosity is that it's driven by faith. This generosity is driven by faith. Even as Jesus calls us here to a generosity that's not self-interested, right? He, he simultaneously lifts our eyes to a reward that can only be seen through the eyes of faith. Again, let's read verses 13 and 14. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Amazingly and, and somewhat paradoxically, as we put off the human tendency to be motivated by the things of this world and take initiative toward those who can do nothing to repay us in the terms of this world, Jesus promises that we will be repaid in eternity. And this is a reward that can only be embraced by faith. By, we don't see it yet. It hasn't materialized yet. Uh, we can only embrace this by trusting that what Jesus says to us here is rock-solid truth. Um, that what we sacrifice from our bank accounts in this life for those who can do nothing to repay us will accrue to our benefit in eternity. And this, brothers and sisters, is the great and glorious paradox of giving in the kingdom of God. Um, it is a sacrifice to give toward those who can't repay you. We should not pretend that it's not a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. That will, it will cost you something. It will cost you the ability to use those resources for some other purpose that might benefit you more in the here and now. But when you consider that real sacrifice, in light of the eternal reward Jesus promises us here, it really is no sacrifice at all. It's, it's better thought of as an investment. You invest now for a return you expect to receive later. And you cannot make a more secure investment than this one. There are many sacrifices we make in life, right, for a reward we expect to receive later. This is actually a very normal thing that we do. I happen to be a gardener. I love this time of year. I love getting outside, getting dirt under my fingernails. I got the, the lettuce and spinach and beets and all that stuff planted already. And yes, I said beets. By the way, I made a public apology to beets last year because I, <laughs> I grew them fresh in my garden for the first time and they were so good and I had said so many disparaging things about them through the years. I had to apologize. But anyway, um, a few years ago, I, I love gardening and a few years ago I, I got um, inspired by the idea of uh, perennial fruit bearing bushes and I planted several blueberry bushes around my property. Um, threw myself into all the research to how to really make these bushes thrive. They're a little bit finicky on the soil. that they, they like to have acidic soil, so I had to replace the soil uh, around where I planted them. Um, they like to keep their feet wet. They have very shallow roots, so you have to learn how to mulch over the top of their roots and put the right kind of materials that over time continues that acidic quality of the soil. Um, the other thing that I, I had to do the first three years after planting these baby bushes um, was pinch the blossoms. The, re the recommendation is that if you're planting the bushes from tiny little babies, um, you pinch the blossoms those first three seasons 
um, so that the, the plant will put all of its energy into developing a strong base and you know, strong root system, and then it may, it may produce fruit for you for 50 to 75 years. They're very resilient. Um, now, you probably know, but I'll tell you in case you don't, those blossoms are what become the berries after the bees come and do their miraculous work. The, those little blossoms that I was pinching those three years would have been the berries. So essentially, by pinching those blossoms, you're saying, I will receive no fruit from this bush this year. It was easy to do the first couple of seasons. That third season, I remember looking at those bushes. There were a lot more blossoms there. They looked pretty strong and stable. I was really tempted to just let these blossoms turn into berries. And you know, I could have had a couple of handfuls of berries that year. But what did I do? I followed the instructions I had been given. I said, no, I'm going to pinch these blossoms because I'm foreseeing a future harvest that will be much greater if I do this. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is asking us here, do you want to be satisfied with a couple of handfuls of blueberries now? Or will you trust me? Will you believe me that sacrificing that small pleasure right now will result in a future harvest that you cannot even fathom? Well, this is a reward that can only be seen by faith. And God is pleased. I believe there's even a way that he's uniquely glorified when we simply take him at his word. We can't see it. We take him at his word, and we live our lives in light of that reality. When we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because that which is seen is transient, but that which is unseen is eternal. Jesus is lifting our eyes here to that unseen reward, which, though unseen, is every bit as real as the tangible sacrifice. The only difference, really, is that it's more lasting. Um, several, several years ago, I became aware of a couple in my home church who were sponsoring seven children through our orphan sponsorship program. I'll tell you about our sponsorship program shortly, but it's the main mechanism by which we care for fatherless children in three different African countries where we're working through Covenant Mercies. Um, I don't go looking through our database to find out how many children our, my friends are sponsoring. I just stumbled upon this, this information, and it stood out to me, uh, not so much because of the number seven, believe it or not, there, there are people who are sponsoring that many and more. Uh, what stood out to me was the fact that I know this couple, and I know they're living a very normal, very um, you know, non-spectacular, middle-class middle class American lifestyle. And so, you know, once I became aware of this information, I just decided I need to, it blessed me so much, I need to drop them a note of thanks. So I just dropped a note in the mail, said, hey, I just stumbled upon this, noticed you're sponsoring seven children, thank you so much for the sacrifices you're making for those kids. Uh, well, sometime later, after they received my note, we bumped into each other at church and just had an opportunity for a private conversation. So the note came up, and, and I came to learn how all that transpired. Um, like most of us, when the, when the program was launched, they sponsored one or two children. And then each year thereafter, as the husband of this family would get a raise at work, they would just decide to sponsor one new child, kind of based on the, the concept that, hey, the Lord provided well for us last year through the income that we had. Uh, he's given us an increase. Let's share a little bit of that increase with, with a child 
in need. Um, later, this couple even added a monthly gift toward our general fund because I'll be telling you about uh, projects like well, developing schools and things like that. And we don't use the sponsorship funds for that. So they wanted to get in on that action as well and began giving monthly. Um, sure enough, because I was bringing this message, I checked our database again. They are now sponsoring 13 children through our program. Um, and uh, yeah, amen, amen. Um, <clears throat> And listen, my point in, in bringing up their testimony is not to suggest that all of us should be sponsoring 13 children or all of us should be following that practice of adding a new child every year. Uh, my point is simply to say this. These are not people of significant means. Uh, I happen to know that, that uh, they are living, a, they have a very normal middle class income. Um, the sacrifice they are making, in other words, is real. Um, the funds that they're, used, that they're giving away could be used in some way to enhance their lifestyle, and none of us would look at them and say, wow, they're really self-indulgent. Um, but this is a couple whose eyes are fixed not on what is seen, uh, but on the things that are unseen. They're sacrificing now for a reward that's being kept in heaven for them, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. I don't know about you, but I want to live my life in light of that reality as well. And when I think of Jesus' exhortation here to be generous toward those who can do nothing to repay us, there are many ways that we can apply that, and I hope the Holy Spirit is at work and you're sensitive to, to the Spirit right now in your own heart at how this word can be applied, but I can't help but think of our orphan sponsorship program when I think of this exhortation. If you are sponsoring children through our program, it is virtually impossible that the, the kids you're sponsoring will ever be able to do anything uh, to repay you for your kindness. That is exactly the kind of giving that Jesus is commending to us in this passage. It's precisely this kind of generosity that he promises to repay at the resurrection of the just. And I imagine that one of the ways Jesus will repay us at the resurrection of the just is by allowing us in eternity to meet some of the people whose lives we were able to impact through our kindness and generosity in this life. I'm, I'm sure that most of us are familiar with Jesus's, uh, the, the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, um, where Jesus says, you enter into your reward for when I was sick, you visited me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was uh, naked, you clothed me. And we'll say, well, Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you sick? And he'll say, even as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So that part's not my imagination. That part is biblical truth. Now my imagination kicks in, and I imagine Jesus pulling up a young lady by his side and saying, I want to introduce you to Chalcedon. Chalcedon was born in Ethiopia. She lost both of her parents to HIV-AIDS. She was on a trajectory to die of HIV-AIDS herself until you decided to give to her and give her access to medical treatment. She responded to that treatment, and she also responded when a lady named Helena, through the program, came into her life and shared the gospel with her and led her to faith. Calcutnan is here today, here to experience the joy of all eternity because you gave when there was nothing she could do to repay you. 
Or imagine him pulling a young boy or a young man up by his side and saying, this is Charles. You invested into Lighthouse Christian School and Charles was able to receive a Christian education through Lighthouse. In fact, he gave his life to Jesus one year on a school break when they ran a VBS at Lighthouse. He later went to college through a scholarship fund, and, and he was able to influence the lives of so many other children in the few, after that uh, as a teacher, all because you gave when there was nothing little Charles could do to repay you. Think of the ripple effects throughout eternity. Think of the, the future children and grandchildren of those who are sponsored children right now. I like to think about this sometimes. Um, imagine those little children someday grown up to be parents and grandparents sharing the love of Jesus with their children, with their grandchildren. Those children will know the love of Jesus because somebody shared the love of Jesus with their parent or grandparent when they were just a small child running around in the community with no one to care for them. I believe that part of the joy, uh, um, that, that part of our reward will be the joy of, of seeing with the eyes of eternity the full glorious impact of our acts of kindness and generosity in this life. It takes the eyes of faith to see that in the here and now, and I couldn't be more grateful to the many people uh, who have had the faith through the years to invest generously in, into our ministry. We are 19 years old now as a ministry, and uh, I'm about to turn the corner now and start updating you on it. By the way, if you're tuning in from home, we've got some photos and video content here. I'll, I hope that it will uh, remain compelling, uh, whether you're here in the room or whether you're, you're tuning in online. Uh, but the main centerpiece of our ministry through the years uh, has always been our orphan sponsorship program, through which we're able to provide for the basic needs of, of a fatherless child in Uganda, Zambia, and Ethiopia um, through the partnerships that we've developed on the ground there with indigenous local churches. Um, we do this mainly through the extended family. Sometimes the children still have their mother alive. You're looking at a kind of a prototypical family in our program. Um, sometimes the, the mother is still alive, other times uh, the children have been taken in by grandparents or aunts and uncles. Uh, and, and so we work through our local church partners uh, to invest into the children in that extended family context. Um, and this is an exciting time for us in ministry. I mentioned that we're 19 years old now. So the children that we started with when they were very small are now uh, young adults, many of them, graduating from our program and taking their place in society. Well, through 19 years of work in sub-Saharan Africa and 15 years of good fruit uh, through our partnership with Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia, um, we have learned that effectively breaking cycles of poverty um, in our children's lives requires a significant investment uh, into their education. Um, I had to include a photo of the founders of Lighthouse Christian School and our dear friends, Will Broad and Zicky Chanda. Some of you know, if you're, if you're already in tune with our ministry, we lost Will Broad in January, sadly. And so um, Zicky is the director of Lighthouse Christian School, and she continues in that capacity. Um, our team on the ground there is grieving a, a very serious loss. Will Broad was the lead pastor of Christ Community Church, which is our partner church there. And by God's grace, everyone on every level is stepping up to continue carrying the baton after that serious loss. Um, 
of Will Broad, but Zicky is, is the director of school, and this couple, um, in many ways, taught us in Covenant Mercies what an important investment education is into the lives of our children. We've, we've always provided for their school fees to keep all the children in our program um, in school. Through Lighthouse, we've really learned what a, a critical investment or how, how much better it is when we can make a direct investment um, into the children's education by developing our own schools where possible. Um, so I'm going to come back to, to Lighthouse toward the end, but right now I want to take you to Kibora, Western Uganda, um, because there, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for children, uh, even if we're able to keep them in school through our sponsorship program, they may be in a classroom of 80 to 100 students um, in just one classroom. You're looking at a, a kind of a, uh, not an unusual scene here. Actually, the most unusual thing about this scene is the number of desks that you see. More often than not, when you see an outdoor classroom like this, you just see students sitting on the ground in huge numbers. Um, now, think about this. If our goal in our children's lives is to restore them to everything God's created them to be as his image bearers, and that is, that is the one sentence uh, way that I like to talk about our goal, in the life of a child. Um, if that's our goal and we're, or we're aiming to help them cultivate their gifts that they have a responsibility to cultivate to bring glory to their creator, uh, imagine being a teacher trying to teach a child to read in a, a classroom of 80 or 100 students, maybe a, a textbook or two to share. Well, that's why a couple of years ago in March 2019, we broke ground on Hope Community Primary School in Kibora. Uh, you're looking at a photo of groundbreaking day on the far right with a big smile on his face is Pastor Moses Nkwatsibwe. Uh, he's the pastor of our partner church there and several of our other team members are, are behind him as well. Um, it was a very happy day breaking ground on this school. And that was after spending much of 2018 uh, developing, uh, working with engineers on the ground there to develop a full site plan before we even got started. I think the next image will be that site plan. Lord willing, we will, uh, several of these buildings are already built, and I'll show you those in a minute, but Lord willing, through the next several years, as the school grows year by year, we will continue to expand the campus and, and flesh out that plan. Um, well, thanks to a small army of, of generous partners uh, investing tens of thousands of dollars into this vision, uh, we were able to open Hope Community Primary School last year, February, February 2020. Um, we were able to open this school, and, and uh, we got a very happy picture from, uh, from the kindergarten class on that opening day or month. Um, now, most of you are probably thinking, whoa, February 2020, what happened next? Well, what happened next is what happened everywhere in the world. Um, sadly, the school had to close its doors about a month later in, in March. Uh, I wish I had time to tell you about the resilience of the team, and they found ways of educating the children even, in the, even during school, school closures, and I'd be happy to tell you more about that if, if you want to talk afterwards. Um, but our plan is the, the school is still officially closed. Um, there's, there's a, a gradual reopening plan that is underway, so Lord willing, we'll be back to normal soon. And our plan then is to add one new grade each year. So we started with 90 students, pre-K, kindergarten, and grade one. And then next year, the grade, one, the grade one students will become the grade twos, et cetera, and we'll continue to grow gradually like that through the years so that, Lord willing, by 2026, 
Uh, the school will continuously serve hundreds of pre-K through grade seven students each and every year. Now what we're able to provide now through this school in the lives of our children is truly transformational. Um, this school enables us to ensure a much higher quality of education through small class sizes and well-trained instructors and sufficient resources. But even more than that, it provides us with a, with a five-day-a-week, Monday through Friday, Christ-centered context where our students um, can hear the gospel. This multiplies our opportunities in their lives to share the gospel and even to shape their Christian character from a young age. Um, phase one of this project consisted of several buildings, which includes sufficient classroom space for um, the, the next few years of growth. And uh, it's all built beautifully into the, the hillside. It's a very hilly terrain in this area of Uganda. And in fact, it's, it's so hilly that the only way to really give you a view of the campus was to get up above it. So we actually found out you can rent a drone in western Uganda, in case you were wondering. Um, and uh, we have a very short video that also introduces you to Rosabella, our head teacher at Hope Community. You're welcome to Hope Community Primary School. I'm called Sabit Rosbera, the head teacher of this school. My purpose here is uh, to direct my staff on what they are supposed to do and be in the vision of the school. Thank you so much for loving us, for supporting us, and supporting our children. Well, last year, uh, one of our newsletters featured the story of a young man named Alex Karuhanga. Um, he is a young man who is from this very Kibura community where we're building out that school. Um, when we first met Alex in 2008, we enrolled him in our sponsorship program. His life was in a really dark place. You're looking at a, a picture of Alex circa 2008 when he first joined the program. Um, sadly, he had lost his father the year before due to HIV AIDS. His mother uh, was still clinging to life, but her uh, health had seriously deteriorated to, due to HIV as well. Um, and so she was trying in that context to provide care for her two young children. 
Well, through the efforts of our team on the ground there in Kibora, Alex's mother was be able, to, able to begin receiving uh, antiretroviral treatment for her HIV. She responded very quickly to that treatment. Um, and yet, despite these new opportunities that were brought into Alex's life, uh, he, he continued to struggle in his heart. He frequently skipped school. He was known for being disrespectful to his teachers. Uh, by 2012, this, this young man was nearly expelled from his secondary school for his serious disciplinary record. Um, but Alex's mother, our team on the ground there, did not give up on this young man. Uh, the following year, the Lord began his transformation of, of Alex's life when he opened his heart uh, to the gospel. Alex immediately joined a, a discipleship course offered through our indigenous church partner, that, through Moses and Quatsiboy, that smiling pastor you saw before. Uh, and, to, and by the end of 2013, only a year later, Alex was transformed into one of the most disciplined and trustworthy students in his school. He was appointed the head boy. Um, now, head boy, if, if you're familiar with the British um, educational system, you'll know, or, or a school called Hogwarts, um, you'll, you'll know what the head boy is. They're, you know, it's, the, it's a, a title that they give to the most exemplary girl and boy in the school. And uh, he even went on a mission trip. We have a program in eastern Uganda as well. He went on a mission trip to share the gospel with students his age on that side of the country. Um, here's, here's a picture of Alex today. Here is what, how he looks back on that time of his life now. This is a, a quote from Alex. He says, my life changed when I got saved in 2013 and was introduced to the gospel and discipleship. Jesus humbled me, and now I value my life and the support I received from Covenant Mercies, which is by grace. My mother also receives HIV care through Covenant Mercies, and she's very healthy and strong. I'm so grateful to God for changing my life and favoring me, and to Covenant Mercies for extending the helping hand of God to me. I will never be the same again. Alex later graduated from a technical institute with honors and a certificate in plumbing. I think we got a picture of him working on the plumbing system at our, our project there at Hope Community Primary School. And he is now working on a, a diploma in water engineering. Um, he returns every school break to uh, invest into the younger kids in the program as a volunteer in our program as well. Um, Alex is just one example of the impact we can have by sponsoring kids through Covenant Mercies. Um, as a sponsor, we are able to uh, generously provide education and health care. And, and even more than that, we're able to set in motion that discipleship and gospel outreach of our indigenous church partners on the ground there as well. Um, the Lord has done an amazing work in Alex's life, and it all started with one person making the gracious decision to give from the resources God had provided uh, to sponsor him and see his life transformed. Um, well, briefly, I want to take you back to Zambia and update you on Lighthouse Christian School as well. And um, when I was talking about the, the launch of Hope Community Primary School in Uganda earlier, um, if, if you're familiar with the Ministry of Covenant Mercies already, you might have noticed some similarity between that project and our project with Lighthouse Christian School in Zambia. Um, if, as we undertake the project in Uganda, it really is the, the model of Lighthouse Christian School that we're seeking to replicate. Um, you're looking at a picture of a part of Lighthouse's campus there, the 
The first uh, classroom building is straight ahead. The second classroom building we built is to the left year, there. And this year, we're embarking on an exciting new project at Lighthouse, uh, a, a really large building um, that will include an assembly hall. And you can go ahead and switch to that next slide. Um, oops, oh, there's some of the kids in, <laughs> inside one of our classrooms. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, there's the, the artist mock-up of um, of this new building that we've undertaken this year. You can see that vaulted ceiling in the center. That's for a spacious assembly hall where we'll be able to do all kinds of uh, educational things. Also have a cafeteria in there so uh, our lunch program um, can be enjoyed by the students in there. And then there will be uh, along the sides there where the roof is lower, there will be additional classroom space, a computer lab, science lab, uh, library, and lots of other exciting developments for the, the betterment of the students education there. Um, you can go ahead to that next slide. That, the center spot there, uh, this was taken before the building was begun, and you can go ahead and, and switch to the next photo, which should show you the progress we've made so far. That building is really filling up that empty space there. Um, uh, let's see, I have lost my place. Um, well, ultimately, as you know, if, if you know Covenant Mercies, okay, there's our assembly hall. Thank you. This is the artist mock-up of the assembly hall, and I'm really excited about the next photo, which is, is showing that assembly hall starting to come to fruition. Uh, we even uh, pray that we'll have a, a local church plant partner, that we'll be able to plant a church that can meet from there on the weekends, even as the school uses that space all week long. Um, as you know, if you know Covenant Mercies at all, it's not about having impressive school campuses for us. We're not in this so we can develop, you know, pretty buildings and, and, um, and get excited about that. What we are investing in is equipping our children to cultivate the gifts God has given them for his glory. Um, and I want to tell you, this is real brief now as we come to a conclusion about a young man who uh, graduated from Lighthouse Christian School and... and uh, his name is Michael Nkata. You're looking at a picture of Michael when he first joined the program back in 2008 as a young boy. Um, he excelled in his school through the, year, uh, through the years. He lost both of his parents, raised by an aunt um, living nearby the school. And uh, he excelled so much through his schooling and then scored so high on his college entrance exams that last year he was awarded a 75% scholarship to uh, the University of Zambia in, um, in the capital city of Lusaka. Um, Covenant Mercies is able to cover the, the last 25%. There you're looking at a picture of Michael today. Um, so he gets a 75% government scholarship. We're topping up the final 25% through the Mapalo Scholarship Fund, which we set aside a few years ago to support the higher educational efforts of our students who graduate from the sponsorship program. Um, and Michael, on his Mapalo scholarship application, Michael described his desire to become a doctor and his desire to serve the underserved as a doctor uh, in the following way. He said, quote, being an orphan and being raised in a community of people with, love, with low social status has made me want to study hard and be one person who came from such a background and still made it in life and be able to give hope to people where hope has died. Uh, now, it's, it's not hard to make the connection from that to the larger story. Um, Michael is able to dream in that way and pursue that dream because somebody gave hope to Michael where hope 
might have died. And all of this is possible because Jesus gave us hope where hope had died. Um, brothers and sisters, Jesus calls us to give generously toward those who can give us nothing in return. And as I mentioned earlier, there are many ways that we can do this, and I hope the Holy Spirit is working in your heart in many ways as you think about application. But I do want to invite you to consider uh, making application by joining hands with Covenant Mercies in our work um, and seeing our Heavenly Father transform the lives of our children for both time and eternity. Um, you can consider sponsorship. And by the way, if you're here in the room, uh, there's a sponsorship table at the back with profiles of, of children who are awaiting sponsors. You can come and um, consider that. If you're tuning in online, we're going to conclude with a video, very brief video in just a minute here, that will show you exactly how you can select a child to sponsor through our website as well. Um, you can invest in that way. You can consider investing in the school projects that we're developing, and there's information at the table about that as well, um, where we're creating a Monday through Friday Christ-centered context to uh, Im improve the education of our children and also invest into their lives in gospel ministry as well. Years down the road, we trust that many of these students uh, will be able to reach higher and further in their educational pursuits, and so we're building our Mapala Scholarship Fund today with that future day in mind. Um, and in the end, we trust that these young people will, will graduate from our program, they will take their places in, in their societies as influencers in their families, in their communities, uh, in their churches, and those ripple effects that we were dreaming about earlier would just take shape all the way into eternity. So if you're here, I hope you'll stop by the table. I'll be there. I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have. Uh, happy to walk you through um, how you can set yourself up to sponsor a child. Um, we also have these beautiful t-shirts as well, these Do Justice, Love Mercy t-shirts um, that we are selling for 20 bucks and, and uh, be happy to outfit you with one of those as well, just as one of the many ways that we're looking to raise funds for the ministry. But regardless of what you decide today about uh, joining hands with Covenant Mercies in this work, may we all be generous disciples of Jesus who give and take initiative toward those who can uh, do nothing to pay us back, knowing, knowing with the rock-solid confidence of faith that God himself will repay us at the resurrection. Just. You can go ahead and roll that two-minute video, James. Thank you so much. Sponsorship through Covenant Mercies can transform the life of an orphan child living in poverty. Your donation of $39 per month provides food, clothing, education, health care, and mentorship. Sponsored children are also taught the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 90% of each sponsorship gift is directly invested into the care of the sponsored child. As a sponsor, you will receive an annual update on your child, and you will also have opportunities to correspond back and forth via letters if you wish. Sponsorship with Covenant Mercies is now easier than ever with our new online form. You can see and select children in need of sponsorship right on our website. At the top of our website's main page, click Orphan Sponsorship. Select Sponsor a Child. On this page, you will see photos of children awaiting sponsorship. You are able to sort the photos by gender, age, country, 
and highest priority need. Click on the photo of the child to learn more about him or her. When you are ready to sponsor, click the Sponsor Now button. You will see your total at checkout, as well as your next monthly fulfillment date. Proceed to sponsorship to complete your billing information. Click Sponsor Now to see the confirmation page. If you have any questions about the sponsorship process or would prefer to cover your sponsorship via check or bank transfer, please contact us at sponsorship at covenantmercies.org. Thank you very much for your support in helping a fatherless child break out of the cycle of poverty by sponsoring a child today. see the progress and the update uh, of just what God's been doing uh, through Covenant Mercies. Um, so I want to give as much time uh, after we close here for folks to be able to look at the table. Uh, also to make sure, since we're a small crew, we can just kind of say these things, but for you, Doug, to be able to connect with Jupiter a little bit. Um, Doug's going to be taking a trip uh, pretty soon here to um, Liberia. Um, so which is like a mile away from where Jupiter is at uh, and his crew. So uh, so it's great how God's kind of orchestrating some things there as we've just recently sent the barrels uh, over there as well. Um, so God, God seems to be orchestrating some wonderful things. Uh, so thanks for sharing. Thanks for challenging our hearts. Um, and I think it's appropriate. I didn't, we, we didn't exactly know um, how specifically to end but even our liturgy ends with getting our eyes upon the mercy that we've received in Christ. As we've received mercy, let's be those who go and show it uh, for God's, God's glory. So let's go ahead and stand.
thank you for Doug. We thank you for uh, his work and your mission. Lord, thank you for this connect that we can have to what is happening globally. Lord, and we thank you beyond these wonderful details of connection and ministry. Lord, we thank you for that mercy that you have shown us when we were undeserving while we can never repay you. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the cost for us so that we might now and forever and without any kind of wavering know your mercy. God, may that gospel, even as was prayed earlier, may it inhabit our hearts. May we never lose the wonder. May even this week we find ourselves reveling again. And if, if we're kind of cold to these things, God, we bring you our hearts to do some wrestling. We've got to contend to once again know the weight, the significance of this mercy that we've been shown. So that we might be those who become channels of your mercy. Become channels of your very own presence. 
that we would be even a priesthood of believers who through us, through our work, folks get to encounter you. So God, make us channels of your mercy. Do this work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace to you all. Hope you get an opportunity to stop at the back table, shake Doug's hand, or get as close as you're comfortable getting close to him.